Joe giving me sass today. It was unintentional. Yeah, it's sassy Joe. <laughs> Coming to the studio, give you that like, okay, okay. Yes. <laughs> you always make me sound worse than I actually say it. Of course I do. Yeah, I know. That's my move. That's why I'm here. <laughs> no, that's my move with everybody. That's, that's true. Is what you got to do is take what people say or do and just blow it up with like a touch more mm. because then they get triggered. Yeah. And then they... You could blow it up even more. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, what's wrong with you? And then you have ammunition. Yes. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) It's the best move. If I started flipping out right now, you'd have... Yeah. No question about it. That's why Austin's the best. Is like, you don't have to do anything with Austin. He just comes like at 11 every single time. And then you're like, wow, chill out, bro. It's amazing. (laughs) Like tipping KFC. Yeah. Speaking of triggered... Bills fans, or sorry, Sabres fans last night. Bills fans too, I guess. Probably a lot of them are Bills fans. Holy crap. I didn't, I guess I should have realized the Ryan O'Reilly quotient a little bit more heading into it. I did reference it on the show yesterday that the Leafs now have the guy who left them and the guy who wanted out. The, Mm -hmm. The thing is, is I guess I thought because Eichel left Buffalo in even worse circumstances Mm. that O'Reilly had been forgotten. Like papered over. Yeah. And also, they got Tage Thompson out of the Ryan O'Reilly deal. So I kind of thought their fans would look at it like, hey, no hard feelings. (laughs) We've got a young 26-year-old super-duper star who is tied up for... So, multiple seasons at under 8 million bucks yeah. who's come in here, had his breakout. Our team is in a better place than it ever would have been. Had we kept you, we've moved on from you and Eichel. We're feeling good. The vibes are high, whatever. And yesterday it was very, very clear. Sabres fans did not feel that way. <laughs> no. Like Leafs talk is called Leafs talk because it's mostly for Leafs fans. Yeah. And yesterday the Sabres Sabres Twitter was in the chat. Sabres Twitter was feeling some kind of way. I put on my Instagram the photo at the end of the game. Ryan O'Reilly scores that hat trick goal, and there's just that Sabres fan sitting there, and he flips the bird. He's not even looking at him. No, he's so mad. He is so mad. And I actually love that. I love that. That's me. Yeah. If that happens to me, that is me. I actually, I think I'm one of the only uh, sports hosts in the city. I feel like I'm in the deep minority that kind of feels some kind of way about Kawhi. Like Mm. you can both be grateful that he was such a great player here and enjoy the memories of his time here and love and place him very high on the all time Raptors players and understand his import to the championship and respect his professionalism that he did come here and he worked his ass off and won a championship with the Raptors. But it always bothers me a little bit that Kawhi, just went home and that he bailed on the Toronto Raptors and that there was a team here that was ready to repeat. And that's what basketball is all about. That's to me what sports is all about is like run it back. Unless you're retiring, unless you're doing the stray hand or what Brady should have done, then run it back, run it back with your group, especially considering Kawhi is the type of talent where he really could have signed the short term deal and then just extended later on with the Clippers or whatever. He could have done a variety of different options And I think he sort of chose the easier way out. And he did what a lot of basketball players do, which is why they're not GMs during their career. Even the best of them, LeBron, Kawhi, whatever. Mm -hmm. He decided, trade all of our pieces for Paul George. I'm not going to come here and just build off of what we had the year before. I'm going to make it nuclear. And now you look at it and go, you wouldn't 
the Thunder wouldn't even pick up the phone no. for Shea, for Paul George. And I'm talking about like one year right now, win today. Not, oh, of course, the future and the contract and blah, blah, blah. So I would hate it if Kawhi came here and did that. Yeah. And he never said stuff like, I lost my passion for basketball. Can you imagine if he said that, then left, then came back and dropped 50 on us? That would, yeah, be, would feel bad. That would be tough. Yeah, it would feel bad. <laughs> it would feel really bad. Anyway, all, my, all this is to say is, I guess, like, I understand the Sabres hate for yeah. Ryan O'Reilly, but I completely overlooked it. Un- unexpected? Yeah, I just thought Eichel <laughs> was the guy they hated. Yeah. And Eichel was the one that kind of traded barbs with them. O'Reilly's a quiet guy. He never took shots at Buffalo after he left. Mm-hmm. It had been a while, and now... I, I did that whole show yesterday about the rivalry that could build between these two teams and yeah. these two fan bases and all that different stuff. And I felt it again yesterday. And I know it was a blowout early and it felt like that game was just going to be a complete nothing burger. Mm-hmm. It became a something burger later on in the game. For sure. But the O'Reilly part of it, where you have the guy who said he lost his love of hockey <laughs> with your organization, with that fan base coming in there and having a hat trick, his first real, this is his moment as a leaf Mm -hmm. against the Sabres, I think actually builds that lore up a little bit. You could tell Darlene was pissed yesterday. He was getting into it. Yeah, he was getting into it. Tate just making runs at Kerfoot. I'm telling you, that Sabres team has bite. I really like that Sabres team. They are on the come up. They are going to be scary. I think they just have a lot of dudes who can play, mm-hmm. but also have just that little bit of mean yeah. that at times we've been very critical of the Leafs for lacking. Anyway, amazing night for Ryan O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. I talked about it ad nauseum with, on Leafs Talk with Sam McKee, subscribe and review, but that was passion night. Yeah. That was pure, unadulterated passion <laughs> night. All-time passion guy. Oh, for the first period. I think, yeah, Sheldon Keefe said it was the best 15 minutes they yeah. played all season mm-hmm. in the post game, and I don't know how you could disagree with them. They were snapping it around. They looked talented. They looked deep. Buffalo had absolutely no space. There was just nothing for them. I yeah. think I don't quite remember what the shot started off at, but I feel like it was 8 nothing. And, yeah, Toronto was just suffocating them. And it gave you a little bit of a preview as to why you should feel a little bit different about this team. Mm-hmm. And that's just – they if they're healthy going into the postseason, they've never, ever, ever had this much talent up top. Yeah. Never where all of their guys are in their primes. John Tavares is absolutely not washed. And Ryan O'Reilly, same thing. The idea that he was some kind of regression candidate and he hadn't been playing his best hockey this year. We talked to Cam Jansen earlier this week. And what was the word he kept using for the season? Goofy. It's been goofy. It's been goofy. Goofy. It was a goofy season. Hey, he's down on this line. He's getting defensive zone draws. And he's playing with Josh Levo. And you go, (laughs) oh, this is why you watch. This is why it's not all the charts, even though there were some charts that said, hey, he's been one of the most unlucky players in hockey when it comes to his wingers finishing. Shout out to Jay Fresh for that one. That was a good that was a good tweet, Jay Fresh. That made a lot of Leaf fans feel good about that trade. <laughs> anyway, this just feels like a moment for them. They could absolutely get bounced in the first round. It's Tampa. Everybody acknowledges that. But the first period that they put together, that's as high a ceiling as any team in the NHL can reach. Mm-hmm. If the Leafs are playing their best period of the season, that's as good as any other team can play. It's it is yeah like it is what it is and that's it. Uh, there were several stretches during that game where Buffalo just didn't even touch the puck. It was yeah, just snapping it. it around the entire thing. Uh, at one point, the shots were sixteen to three, and then they got a yeah. couple at the end there. But 
It was it was a murder. Was the a first down. 15 minutes were a murder. It was a beatdown. And and I know people are hypercritical of the way that they closed that game out. I mm-hmm. would contend that their goaltender should make at least one of those two saves. Yeah. In fact, he should be making both. But yes. yeah, he slipped late at the end of the game. Some people are talking about, hey, if he's still getting over the illness, maybe he got fatigued. Uh, I'm not a big excuse guy. If you get if you strap him up, if you play, then you should be good to go. Yeah. Then then you should be judged. Based on what you're doing, okay? I'm a big believer in that. So it shouldn't have felt as close, but then again, maybe Buffalo could have had one or two earlier on a bunch of their other plays. They definitely controlled play from a lot of the second period onward. They just didn't go away, which again, another reason why I like that Sabres team and why I like the potential between these two groups over the next couple of seasons. But the, the interesting thing to me now is how Sheldon Keefe handles his lines. Because... You put Ryan O'Reilly with those talented players to see what exactly you have Mm -hmm. and you want to get him comfortable. And I I don't have any issue with him starting him there. Yeah, true. They played so well last night, though. At what point do you start shifting things around? Is it a guarantee that Tavares stays with Marner? Like, Mm. could he end up being the guy that gets bumped down? and plays with some more of the choppers? I would think not, but I'm just saying I'm not assuming it yet. Yeah. And, okay, here was Sheldon Keefe in the post game yesterday talking about, um, yeah, the potential of looking at something else. I didn't put any sort of timeline on it other than, you know, to just just to say that I wasn't going to do it for one or two games. I think we, you know, we owe it to the to the line uh, to to spend some time, some real time together. Okay, so spend some real time together. Cool. Mm-hmm. That gives you an opportunity to let them really understand one another. Blah blah blah, going down the line. I just, I made this point yesterday on Lee's talk, but I've been, I, I just, I can't stop thinking about it. They're going to be fine from a chemistry standpoint. Yeah. They're some of the most talented. They're in the 1% <laughs> of the league when it comes to talent. Yes. Tavar is playing some games on the wing. It's not like that's a hard thing for him to have to adjust to. Mm-hmm. And so the more you let them play together, the more they're going to put up good numbers. This isn't going to stop all of a sudden. They're not going to look bad together. I think Keith's plan probably is going to be, hey, let these guys play together. And then the moment that the Leafs have one of their sleepy bad games, right, again, against like Chicago, pull the plug. Once you've actually now had a sample of it. He didn't do it against Chicago because it's game two and it's hard to all of a sudden be blaming the new guy or whatever. Putting them in that spot where we're having those conversations. Let them get comfortable. Let them do their thing. That's all good and great. Just that is going to be a bit of a tough move. And Mm -hmm. when does he decide to make it? I think it's an interesting part of that. Anyway, um, Raptors returning tomorrow. I'm going to head down to the game. It's with the... Oh, Oh, you're heading down. Yeah, but... It's a it's gonna be a weird game to watch because Raptors fans are gonna get a up close look at all the players that they fantasized about getting from New Orleans for the last two months in the <laughs> fake true. OG and an OB trades. All the mock trades. Uh, yeah, so uh, weird. Maybe OG has his revenge game on ah. the Pelicans, and he goes, "Wow, you wouldn't throw in one measly extra pick for me." Watch this. Let me show you something. He does Corner the Patty. Threes, he does day. the Patty Kane. Uh, Justin Termini, host of NBA Today on SiriusXM NBA, which is excellent. He joins me now. What's up, Justin? How we doing, buddy? 
JD, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for having me. Yeah, on. of course, pal. Of course. Uh, no better time to have you because, like, we're talking about all the things you hate. <laughs> so it's just, it's right here, right? NBA All-Star season is just like, hey, here's how the game could be better time. And, boy, I've always been critical of this weekend. I've, and I was with the NHL, too. Like, I don't understand why the players don't view it as a bit more of an opportunity to sell the game why the league doesn't prioritize a little bit more, while we all do this move of, well, it's for the kids, and you go, well, last I checked, it's not the kids who buy tickets. Uh, last I checked, it's not the kids who are, you know, turning on the television and picking this. It's adults who sell their interest in something to a kid. But Jalen Brown comes out and says, it's a glorified layup line, and then they need to find a way to make it a bit more competitive. Do you think that maybe, just maybe, this one was so bad that it was a bit of a tipping point for the players in the league where they try to look at ways of ramping it up because whatever they've been doing well, before wasn't working. Yeah, well, first of all, I do like All-Star Weekend as a whole because we go out there as a station. We yeah. get a lot of great interviews. Yeah, you and guys it is great. nice to see the young guys like Anthony Edwards who are like really excited to be there. Uh, but then, you know, you get, to, you get to Sunday night and it's a complete dud. Uh, and again, if it's for the kids as well, and I said this the other day, well, why is it starting at 8.30 Eastern time on a Sunday night, right? Because, uh, <laughs> you know, 7, 8, 9, 10-year-olds probably aren't staying up till, uh, you know, 9, 10, uh, 11 o'clock to see most of the, most of the game. But yeah, I, I think something needs to be done, and it's frustrating because a couple of years ago, I remember LeBron came out, Chris Paul, well, I guess they didn't come out, but they, they went to the NBA and they said, if you reduce the amount of uh, media work that we have to do leading up to the game, we'll play harder. So now we don't interview the biggest stars. We'll yeah. interview stars when we go out there. We won't get the biggest guys because they said they would play harder. Well, that lasted maybe a year. They did have a good game in 2020 out in Chicago right before mm -hmm. COVID hit. Uh, and, you know, the last two have been duds. Uh, and this one was a historic dud. I think this is the worst one that I've, I've ever seen. But Agreed. the thing I laugh about is all these guys go, wow, you know, we love Kobe Bryant. We honor Kobe Bryant. Uh, well, Kobe played, you know, relatively hard in these things. Kobe didn't load management. Uh, you know, these guys do that. So, uh, you know, it, it's frustrating from that standpoint. It's like, I don't think they should get money to win the game. I think they should just go out there and play with Clyde. That's what happened for the previous, I don't know, 60 all-star games up until about 12 years ago. Yeah, I completely agree. It was awful. And I've been a fan of the all-star game ever since I was a kid. Cause yeah, it was one of the, well, first of all, it wasn't the same where you could just see every player every single night. So I get that that matters. You'd be waiting for national games, NBA on TNT on Sundays to just get a glimpse at somebody that wasn't the bulls or whoever the bulls were playing, but, or for me, the Sonics, but yeah, um, boy, that you used to at least have it where it felt like a bit of a measuring stick for these guys at the end. And that's all you're ever hoping for. You're never hoping for a full game. That's just highly contentious. We all know what this is, but you do want to be able to get it to the final quarter the final eight minutes and the best players at the time are on the floor. The guys who care the most are on the floor and, and give it a go. And I just don't know how they incentivize these guys other than saying, listen, it's a competitive market and there's tons of viewers going to many, many different things. This is an opportunity for you to sell your brand and sell your name. And they, there just doesn't seem to be that connection there. Even Anthony Edwards, you guys sat down with him. It was a great interview. I really enjoyed it. He obviously made those head waves during All-Star Weekend talking about how everybody rests too much. He pulls the Kobe card. And then Dennis Scott's sitting next to him at the All-Star game, and he goes, hey, will you be in the dunk contest? And right away he's like, no, no, no. I'm like, okay, so that's the line. You, you will be in this game. You'll kind of try in this one, but you won't go above and beyond and do the extra thing. Like, I, I think even for a guy like him, there still seems to be – a little bit of, yeah, but you, you can't try too hard. You can't care too much. And I think that's just bad for the league in general.
Yeah, well, it's almost like it's the cool thing to do. It's not to try hard. It's the cool thing to right. do not to play during the regular season because you're going like, well, I'm resting because I'm I'm so good I get to rest. So it's almost like worn as a badge of honor, which is which is strange as as could be. And again, like I don't mean to pile on LeBron, and I'm a critic of LeBron, yeah. but you know I think you follow the best player in the sport, right? Like uh, you 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 know back in the '80s, if Magic and Bird are 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 whipping the ball around the perimeter and passing, like you know all the teams are kind of passing the ball. You follow the uh, the direction of the best uh, team players. Then the Pistons are playing bad boy basketball. All right, what happened after that? The Knicks, the Heat, the teams of the 90s got really physical, right? So you follow the best teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now, LeBron doesn't you know really care in these all-star games. Uh, so people are going to follow him and not put in that type of, uh, that type of efforts. The same thing when he left for Miami. Okay. What did that do? It led to other players hopping from team to team, you know, whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing. The point is, is that, you know, players and teams tend to follow the best players and teams. And he's kind of set the precedent. Who do you think the next guy is in regards to being the best player of the sport? Yeah. Just know the next guy to be the one players follow. Like, because Giannis, uh, he was hurt. He didn't play in that game. I actually kind of had a oopsie. I was like, uh, go out yeah. there and just not do the one dunk. And then afterwards, they're like, oh, his wrist was pretty sprained. I'm like, damn yeah. it. <laughs> like, oh, oops. Sorry, Giannis. And I was disappointed in him especially because yeah. he has been a bit more of a care guy, effort guy. I'll always, like, he became inf- infinitely more important to me when he won his championship and he started taking shots going like I'm doing it the right way I'm like yes this is the guy we need I'm a big believer in the lack of sports hate that we have right now and this is pervasive across professional sports where it's way too friendly it's way too much like it's fine the the brotherhood of this and like what we do is harder than it is and blah 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 and Giannis went out there and was like nah I don't want to be best friends with anybody I want to kick everybody's ass and I want to do it on my own terms in my own way do you think like he has that juice to do this? Because it it does feel like he doesn't resonate that same way, especially with the American players. Well, yeah, exactly, and that's the key word which you said there at the end because that's what I was getting ready to answer. I think you know right now you could arguably make the case that Giannis, Luca, uh, Joel Embiid, and Jokic are the four best players. Yeah. You can make a case for for Kevin Durant as well when he's healthy, but I think those are like the five guys. Mm-hmm. So you can make an argument the four best are all uh, all international guys. And I don't think guys follow them, right? I mean, you, you know, I don't think that those guys set the, the way and other players get behind them. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the next guy, and I'm not saying he's as good, like he's not even the best American player. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Durant is, but he's getting older. Tatum's a young American player who I think uh, who I think may end up being the best mm-hmm. American player. John Morant, to me, is not the best one. Agreed. But just the way he carries himself, I could see, like, guys, you know, following John Morant. Uh, you know, and the way he carries himself, which at times isn't good. I mean, he's nice that he's cocky and he, he talks a little trash, but I can see that as kind of being the next guy that, that people sort of pattern themselves after. So, I, I, like, I kept thinking about Edwards and how important he might be with being vocal and unafraid, but there is a bit of, he's he's just too young right now, and I'm sorry to Minnesota, but there is something about the market and their team and the fact that, like, they're the laughing stock still that made the Rudy Gobert trade where... It, it just doesn't hit that way. I'm like, yeah, you have to play because your team stinks and you're young. Like, of course, you're still at the point of your career where you're openly admitting that you eat like 20 bags of Cheetos a week. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to start uh, dispersing advice to the rest of the older guys who have done way more in the league. To me, the guy you said is Tatum. Like, I, I feel like Tatum's import, I felt it a little bit more this weekend. He breaks that record. He's going head to head 
with Brown. Those two guys, Brown is the guy that ends up saying the, the biggest quote about the layup line. And I do kind of feel like Tatum has always fashioned himself after Kobe. He's always been very, very inspired by Kobe. And I do wonder if that Celtics team can make another finals run and he wins one. If he can enter that conversation with those other four guys, maybe try to get near the top of it. I think it's really, really tough for him to pass Giannis, but be right there and start to become kind of the, the voice of the league. Yeah, and he's he's a guy that along those same lines as Anthony Edwards, you got to respect there. Edwards, a young guy, yeah. and like you said, it might not carry much weight because he's playing in Minnesota. The team's not winning. You know, he's he's twenty years of age. But Tatum is a guy that also gets out there and plays. Now, Damian Lillard does too. He had a massive injury last year. He's getting older. But Devin Booker's another guy. Devin Booker models himself after Kobe. Devin Booker actually plays. Now he suffered a major groin injury. One of the reasons he did is he tried to come back from that too early, right on Christmas Day, because he really wanted to play. But there, there are guys out there that uh, uh, that try and get. I mean, Tatum's only missed I think four games this year. He's playing through an injured wrist. Uh, so that would not be a guy I would have an issue with guys following and sort of modeling their games after. Yeah, I think that we, from a national standpoint anyways, or I can say this from a Toronto thing, is like Boston already gets so much limelight and there's always been so many conversations about those two guys that I, I almost feel as though we pull back at times to give him credit when it's due because he got so much before he had really done anything. Then the finals was weird and... He came back this year. He's been awesome, phenomenal. I would say that the Celtics are right there with Boston. I don't see how anybody couldn't. And yeah, if they get by him, I just I do wonder what his his career is going to start to look like if he can win a championship at this age with that team in that market uh, in a year like this right after they went to the finals. Okay, so it's still LeBron's though, and uh, stretch run time. His team's five games under five hundred. Um, <laughs> they made some trades. Uh, he says it's the most important stretch of his career. Uh, what do you expect here from the Lakers in the second half? Because I got to tell you, my, my bar is very low and I'm like, I keep squinting at the standings going, how are you going to get there? And I, I don't know if they will. Yeah, I, so I think they could beat. Oh, I don't think like Denver or Memphis wants to face them in the first round sure. uh, if they if they're able to qualify because the team has a big upgrade and I think they would be a top six team uh, most likely if they had this group at the outset of the year. Plus, you know who knows if Anthony Davis is going to be focused and play like he did for that like two week stretch uh, mm-hmm. when he was both focused and healthy. They could be dangerous as well. Uh, you know, I don't think you need to worry about Utah. They're pulling back. I think Portland is just a really bad team. Damian Lillard has, uh, has helped them overachieve. I mean, Oklahoma City looks like the team that they might have to battle with yeah, I in like order them. to get that final spot. Uh, uh, they've been really good, and they're playing with energy, and it looks like they, they're attacking it. Uh, but if the Lakers do get there, I think they, they could be they could be dangerous because the pieces they have now are a massive upgrade from what they had before. I would say uh, behind LeBron and Anthony Davis, it was probably the, like the worst in the NBA, like three through uh, 15 on the roster. Uh, now that's no longer the case. Uh, and they also addition by subtraction got rid of Russell Westbrook. So I think that's an upgrade as well. Yeah. We'll go there in a second. I think, yeah, the Lakers have an, is it only one more game against OKC or they have two? I think it's just one. Oh no, they have two. They have two games left against OKC. Those games are going to feel massive. I agree with you about the Jazz and Blazers. They should be able to leapfrog those two teams. But there would be something hilarious about the Lakers losing a tiebreaker to Oklahoma City and us all going back and looking at it and saying, oh, right, that was LeBron night. They lost to OKC. That was his moment. And then they bubbled out to the team that was essentially coming to this year trying to tank. 
Uh, and yeah, they're the ones who occupy the 10 seed. And so that, that's just kind of the last follow-up on this one is, do you think that this stretch actually matters to LeBron's legacy in any kind of way? Uh, no, I mean, I think like if you, at this point, if you say he's the greatest ever, then you're not going to change. If you don't think yeah. he's the greatest ever, this will be more ammunition. Uh, so I, I don't think it really changes anything. I mean, I think it's funny that uh, he tweets out, I'm never going to miss the postseason again. And then he takes down the tweet and now he potentially is going <laughs> to miss. Or like at the beginning yeah. of the previous season where he's like, oh, we'll keep the same energy when we prove the media wrong and we're a really good team. Yeah. And he doesn't keep the same energy and he just kind of disappears. Uh, but so I think that's funny. But ultimately, if you think he's the best, that's not going to change your mind. If you think he's the worst, that's not going to change your mind. Yeah, I just, I do have, it just doesn't feel like it's going to get any better in LA. You know, maybe it does, but Davis, uh, somebody put out a clip yesterday on Twitter of Davis in uh, New Orleans, like the young version of him and how just quick and smooth he was as a player. And I went, oh my God, I I, like, I forgot that guy existed. (laughs) I forgot that's who you used to be. And it actually made me feel a little sad because I looked at it and went, boy, we really thought you might be a top, what, 25 player in the NBA? That bubble season, it went, oh, crap, this guy might be the real deal. He might be a something. And now, looking at him, I just I feel the complete opposite, where I say to myself, there's just no way he's going to recapture that body, that athleticism, that burst. And, yeah, obviously the health is a major concern. And LeBron's going to get older, and I know he keeps defying father time, but you're already seeing some cracks in the game. He's not washed. He's still incredible. But, yeah, it's just not quite there. And so... They missed this year. They don't get in. I think looking at the West and the fact that there's even more teams that are going to probably try to load up this offseason, their lack of assets, there's no guarantee that they get back. And then, yeah, I just I wonder if he has a bit of a close kind of like Jordan with the Wizards where it's a lot of irrelevancy and maybe that does impact him. Yeah, and uh, the, the other thing is, like, I, the one area where I pull back and disagree a little bit, like, you know, you're up there in Toronto. Toronto can't afford to make mistakes and then just go, oh, well, yeah. all of a sudden we're a contender again, right? Uh, the Lakers stunk for a decade, did nothing right, yeah. but then contended again because LeBron's like, I want to live in L.A. Then Anthony Davis is like, I want to be with my buddy and yeah. I want to live in L.A. Miami does the same thing. Miami could have a horrific roster uh, with no cap space and, high, you know, sign Dion Waiters and Tyler Johnson and Hassan Whiteside to bad contracts. And then Jimmy Butler will go, you know what, I want to play there. And even though they have no cap space, he forces his way there. So I wouldn't put it past the Lakers to be able to reboot this thing in the offseason. They can have a little bit more cap space now. Uh, and plus, uh, you know, with LeBron essentially owning an agency out there with Clutch, even though he officially doesn't own it, uh, to avoid the conflict of interest, like, it wouldn't surprise me to have, an, you know, them to have an easy time rebooting uh, and be able to do something. So I don't think that he'll end his career in irrelevancy. And plus, he could move teams as well. I don't think he wants mm. to, but maybe he does in the last couple of years. How dare you point out that L.A. and Toronto are different in terms of player destinations in the NBA? How dare you, sir? I don't like it. Yeah. I mean, I wish it wasn't the case. I think, <laughs> like, for example, I think Toronto's yeah. culture is just as sure. good. I think Nick Nurse is just, Like, I love Nick Nurse. I'm a little bit uh, flabbergasted why mm-hmm. uh, you know they've underachieved this season because I don't think he ever has before outside of the bubble. But uh, they, the season where they were playing all their games on the road, but that's, mm-hmm. you know, you know, an easy excuse. Uh, I think he's just as good as Eric Spolster. I think the culture is great there as well, but apparently they have a trademark in Miami. Like heat culture, Toronto can't use it, but mm-hmm. I think they do just as good of a job. Yeah. Okay. So the other LA team, why did the Clippers do this? And does it have a chance to work with Russ? 
Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think like there are spots for Russell Westbrook. Maybe you go back to to Washington where he had some success next to Bradley Beal and Paul George did have his best season next to him. But like one of the issues I have is that well, first of all, they don't need offense. I think over the last fifteen games, offensively, they're, they're the best uh, ranked offense in the NBA. So then, why are you taking a high usage guy and sticking him into your situation where now you got to figure that out? Okay, I feel like they need defense. Uh, he does not defend. Uh, I also feel like the major issue I have with the Clippers is their lack of continuity, right? Like they have talent on the roster, but they don't learn how to play together because everybody's in and out of the lineup. Now you're going to add a guy that's difficult to play with in, uh, in Russell Westbrook into the mix. Like it's not like adding Kevin Durant into the mix who fits into like any situation or Clay Thompson. Those guys are very easy to play with. A guy like mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook, a guy like Derrick Rose, uh, you know, those those guys are difficult to learn how to play with. And now you've got about 20 games to do that where, you know, you know that uh, Paul George and Kawhi with their history are going to miss some of those games. So now we're talking about maybe 15 to 17 games where they get out there on the floor together and have to be ready to go out there with the continuity. I don't see it. So I didn't love the decision. Yeah, I just I can't believe we're still doing the raw numbers thing with Russ. How many people went, hey, this is still a guy who gives you what, 16, 8 and 6. And I'm like, what? No, (laughs) that's not that's not an accurate description of who this guy is. And he's not going to buy in to come off the bench. I already saw one report that maybe he's going to end up starting. And all I can think of is a center sagging close to the rim and them letting Russ roam. And either he's going to be the guy that takes those extra threes or takes those mid-range shots. All of a sudden, it starts to piss off Kawhi. It starts to piss off Paul George, and it, it completely implodes. Like, I just I don't see the upside of this move. And I really don't get why the Clippers decided that this would be the direction that they want to take. You're right. If they're, if you're a team like, yeah, the Bulls, the Wizards, one of those like Eastern Conference teams that's really not going anywhere, but you could use a bit of an extra score slasher, whatever, then fine. But for a team that I finally was starting to feel a little bit better about after the deadline, I thought we overrated the Bones Highland acquisition. But outside of that, like, yeah, they, they looked better. They looked like a better team. Kawhi's been playing great. Now all of a sudden I go, oh, nah, probably not. This this feels like it's gonna, this is gonna hurt you. And so yeah, that brings me to who's the team in your opinion that has the most pressure in the second half to do something? Because I kind of felt that what like the Clippers were in that conversation, and maybe they're even ramped up with having Russ. That there's more pressure to make that work, or or maybe you go the other way where you say, nah, now there's less pressure because I'm just such a non-believer in it. But who is that team to you? Well, they're certainly on that list, and maybe yeah. they're number two on that list uh, because this is now what year four of this stuff, and they've mm-hmm. you know they reached the conference finals. It was the best they ever did. But you look at that package they gave up for Paul George, uh, and if you don't win a championship and you gave up Shea Gildas Alexander, who already might be better than Paul George, plus all those draft picks. So yeah, there's significant amount of pressure on them. I got to look now at Phoenix though because. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant comes off a failed experiment in uh, in Brooklyn, where I mean they get swept in the postseason last year. They won one first, they won one playoff series in three plus years. Okay, I'll even count this year because it was a failure. So uh, that even counts as a playoff loss series for for Durant there. Then you got Chris Paul, who's going to be 38 in May. He's got to win now. He doesn't have many more years where he can, uh, you know, he can you know, have a chance to play at a high level. We saw it the last couple of postseasons where he tails mm-hmm. off towards the end. And you also can't say, like, I talked to Dominique Wilkins this week, all right, out at, out at the Hall of Fame. We didn't talk about this subject, but he's the perfect example. Like, you could say about Dominique, hey, you know what? He, he didn't win a championship, 
but he didn't have the teammates, right? He, you know, it's it's not necessarily his fault. He didn't play with all-time greats. Then you look at Chris Paul. Chris Paul played with those Clippers teams where, you know, he's playing with Blake Griffin at his peak. He's playing with DeAndre Jordan, who made first, say what you want about him, first-team All-NBA center when he played with him. Jamal Crawford's winning six-man of the years. J.J. Redick is a good two-guard. Doc Rivers is a championship head coach. He couldn't make that work. Couldn't even get out of the second round. He goes to Houston. He plays with the Hall of Famer and James Harden. Uh, he goes now to Phoenix. He goes up 2-0 in the finals. Uh, he's playing you know, he's got the best record in the NBA last year, comes up short. He's playing with Devin Booker. He's playing with Kevin Durant. Uh, like he's been you know, a former number one overall pick in DeAndre Ayton. He can't say he didn't play with talent. So uh, if he doesn't win, it's like, yeah, you had the opportunity to win. You couldn't get it done with very good pieces. So I think those two on that particular team are under a ton of pressure, as is Monty Williams, because he got a new ownership group there. Mm -hmm. And that owner's coming in saying, I've given you everything you've needed. I've given you arguably the best player in the sport in, in Kevin Durant. You can't win. Uh, I'm going to bring in my own guy. So I think the Suns overall and those three guys – Durant, Chris Paul, and Monty Williams are probably under the most pressure. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I had it as that team, uh, the Clippers and the Lakers, which we already touched on. It's just these are the teams that actually need to do something. And yeah, maybe there's a little less urgency with the Lakers situation than I have kind of projected because of the reasons that you outlined where they can have an offseason where they retool, revamp, and LeBron makes one more run here with the Lakers or an earnest run of trying to get back there to the top. But yeah, those other two, I just I think it's pretty unassailable. KD loses with this Suns team, or they have an embarrassing exit, and boy, like that's going to spark basically I think the entire offseason conversation from like the the negative or the the bad legacy standpoint. In the East, it's weird for me for the pressure teams because you look at it and say, all right, probably the Sixers. Just if you're doing the how many years is Embiid still going to be healthy and at this level of player and Harden and okay, go on down the line. Celtics box doesn't feel as urgent. Then the rest of the teams in the middle, same kind of thing. Like Nets don't have pressure. Knicks, it's been gravy. Heat, maybe a little bit. I wonder if the two teams with the most pressure are weirdly the Hawks and the Raptors. My case for the Hawks is just simply like they just fired Nate McMillan. And it, it's like, to me, it feels like Trey is the next star to say, yeah, no more of this. I want out. And that that is going to be explosive. And if they fall out of the playoffs... Yeah, I don't know what that looks like. And for the Raptors, they stood pat at the deadline. Everybody up here expected them to sell. They don't just they don't just stand pat. Like they add somebody, they give up their picks next year. And if they are not able to at least inspire some level of confidence, I think that that's going to cause this fan base to spiral a little bit for the first time in God knows how long. Um, do you agree with those two teams? Well, the Hawks, if it is something where uh, you know Trey Young ends up saying that, I think he's going to be it's going to be a reality check. Uh, as to how he's viewed around the rest of the league, because I don't think that uh, there's going to be massive pad. Now, again, there's always an idiot, uh, and that's all it takes is, as the saying goes. But, like, I wouldn't rather have him than Jalen Brunson, a guy who at least digs in. He's a leader. He takes smart shots. His teammates seem to like him. That doesn't seem to be the case with Trey Young. So I think, like, it's going to be a shock to his system how he's viewed around the rest of the league if he does demand to be traded. Uh, in regards to Toronto, uh, you know, I, Pirtle, what do you have, 30 points right before the break in one of his first games there? Yep. Uh, a nice young player. Uh, maybe they reboot with him at the centerpiece of something next year, but he'll have to pay him maybe $20 million. I think that's what it's he can man. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I think that Masai eventually is blowing things up anyway. I thought, like you guys up there, it would happen at the deadline. But uh, now I just expect that to carry over into the offseason. I would still expect, uh, you know, a complete reboot, which starts, I guess, with OG Aminobi and Fred Van Vliet. 
fleet. I wouldn't pay mm-hmm. Fred Van Vliet. Uh, you know, he's been shooting, what, under 40% ever since the All-Star break last year. So it's been over a year where he hasn't played well. So I expect major changes for, for Toronto in the offseason. Yeah, it's, it's weird with Fred because he'll put he's put together, like you said, the, the larger sample size is a guy who's lost a step. And yeah, he's he's just not the same shooter that he once was. He's not able to stay healthy. Um, he's an undersized guy who's had to play a ton of minutes. And then every once in a while, he'll show you this flash, right? Where he'll just have a dominant game and you go, all oh, right, that's still in there. And maybe that's what convinces a team to give him that much money because there's only so many guys that can do that and kind of command the respect that he does around the league. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I thought that they were going to move him before. The scary thing for Toronto is that they're going to enter a situation with Fred and Gary Trent where they could lose both guys for nothing. And if that ends up happening, boy, oh boy, that uh, like, yeah, you, you have an off season where you pay Jakob Pertl close to $20 million uh, and then lose Fred and Gary Trent for nothing. And now you're kind of backed into a corner where you have to trade OG to just sort of restock things and retool things that that's where it gets into scary hours for the Raptors. And that's why I think there's so much pressure on them. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, like losing a player of that caliber for nothing is is difficult. You look at what happened mm-hmm. to Dallas, right? Now they're trying to recover from exactly. that. Where they lost Brunson on purpose, then they had to make a, what I think was a desperation move in order to appease Luka and get Kyrie. And if Kyrie leaves for nothing, which is possible, they could lose two guys in a row for nothing uh, and leave you know everything else around them depleted. So, uh, yeah, that is definitely something you do not want to see take place in, in Toronto. Uh, I'm glad Kyrie's back to talking you know it's good it's good to have him back <laughs> giving his opinions on everything uh we really missed it he goes to Dallas and already he's talking about how yeah uh load management paints bad narratives for players I was like this is good like I'm grateful thank you Kyrie we we really missed you uh we really needed you uh Justin Termini host of NBA today on Sirius XM NBA again uh always great uh love to listen thanks for coming on man thanks buddy appreciate it JD take care um boy Okay, so yeah, those are my second half pressure teams. I'm looking at this, and, and what I mean by pressure is like you've got to be good in the regular season because playoffs is a completely different beast, right? But I do think that the Clippers, they have this opportunity to at least be in the two seed. Yeah, they're only two games behind Memphis. Yeah, prove that it works, right? Like prove that it works, prove that Kawhi can stay healthy, that George can stay looking as good as he can or that he is, mm-hmm. that some of the pieces, that your depth pieces in your rotation, that they're kind of working out and that that's fine. And that Russ coming into the mix, which I'm highly dubious of. Yeah. Like I said, I talk myself out of it within 10 seconds. <laughs> Just to me, there's too big of a problem with the fact that you do not need to cover him and where those other guys score. Yeah. And for a Clippers team that already has had issues with the paint being congested against them. I don't know how Russ helps that because he cannot shoot. And so, yeah, Reggie Jackson had quit on them, but at least you felt like there could be one Reggie Jackson game where he takes over in the playoffs and he knocks down some shots and he Mm -hmm. opens things up for those other guys. Maybe Russ drive and kick hits shooters. Maybe that ends up working out for them. I just, I have a tough time seeing it. I really do. I I have a easier time seeing him clanging that shot in a big game and then people putting the camera right on Kawhi's face. Just no emotion. Yeah, Russ, yeah. Russ is having the worst shooting season of his since he was like 20 years yeah. old. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on the Lakers to at least get into the postseason. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Justin kind of talked me off of that a little bit. And maybe it is just the Lakers are bad. They improved their team and they're in a better position than they were a year ago from a cap standpoint and ability to acquire somebody's standpoint. Mm-hmm. Okay, so fine. I'll take that. I'll run with that. Right. 
We already went over the Suns, but to me, for Phoenix, it's a, it's more of a playoff thing. Like, yeah, there's nothing in the regular season that's really going to matter too much to them, whatever. You got to win. Yeah, be in the playoffs and have Kevin Durant dominate. Get Kevin Durant a championship ring. If he can do it with Booker and Chris Paul, that's a real legacy-defining moment for all those guys. It's really, really big. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still think that Durant is probably going to end up being the best player on that team, even with Booker, right? Yeah. Okay. The other team with pressure is the team that Toronto sees on Thursday, the Pelicans. Mm. Mavericks, Luke is not going anywhere. If the Kyrie thing doesn't work out, they move off of them. It's fine. They pivot. They try to do another move. It sucks because they just, they really can't seem to figure things out. The Brunson thing was a huge miss. They had an opportunity to resign him for way cheaper early last season. They decided not to, and now it's a disaster. Yeah. But I, I don't feel that same, holy crap, they have to do it right now just because of where Luke is at. The Pelicans one to me is a bit, is a bit scarier because mm. Zion's injury has me thinking maybe he doesn't have as much time left in the NBA as we all thought. Like really? he's only 22. Well, man, he's, yeah. he had another setback. He's still out for quite some time yeah. and they had all these pieces, all these assets. And if they're not like, remember how he felt about the Pelicans at the end of last year? Mm-hmm. At the at, during the playoffs when Alvarado was running around and pushing Chris Paul and Herb Zion, Jones yes, around. exactly. And we yeah. went, holy crap! This might be the team. This might be the the group like, that watch takes out the for next the next step. year when Zion comes back. Yeah, if they stink and they fall out of the postseason and Zion doesn't get in there or they don't do anything with it, I I I, I think we'll look back at it and go, why didn't you guys make the trade? Why didn't you throw in the extra pick for OG and Obi? Why didn't you try to take that step? Why weren't you a little bit more urgent? And then they yeah. go into an off season where they do that. And there's less guarantees and there's probably even more fear of whatever's going to happen with their picks. Mm -hmm. They're going to have that Lakers pick and who knows where that thing ends up. Yep. But yeah, I just, I want to see something from the Pelicans. I want to see them start to look good again. And this is a team that has been a little bit better as of late, a little bit better heading into the break, but overall pretty bad. Overall, very, very not good. The other teams, East, I mentioned it. Joel Embiid and the Sixers and Harden, it's it's just tenuous. Doc, all of the ingredients of you got to do something in the postseason, but yeah. from a regular season standpoint, nothing really to me. Like, no one's going to care if they don't leapfrog the Celtics or Bucks. They're a bunch of games back. It would be really, really tough to pass them. Bucks have won 10 straight. Celtics, you know, they're they're going to they're, they're winning at a 70 plus percent clip. Yeah. They're, they're not, they're probably <laughs> the Celtics are the Celtics. They're, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, I don't think you're going to catch them. Cavs are in year one of their thing and they've done already great. Everything has worked out well for them. Fine, mm-hmm. fine, fine. But there's not whatever. a lot of pressure there. It's yeah. You know. Nets. Everything's gravy at this point. Anything that works out with Mikhail Bridges. Awesome. Every win for them is a plus. They fall out of it. No fan is expecting anything from them. Knicks. Yeah. Same thing. You hit on the Jalen Brunson signing. Mm-hmm. No one thought he was going to be this good. And the pressure is more on them going into the offseason with, do you trade R.J. Barrett finally? Did you trade him later than you should have? Should you have used him in the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes mm-hmm. and been a little bit more aggressive and tried to have a backcourt that was Brunson and Mitchell and had that work out? Great. Hawks, I feel a tremendous amount of pressure for them because the Trey Young thing, listen, Termini said you just need to have find one team. One team will... Cash in for Trey. Absolutely. Somebody will convince themselves that Trey is the guy for them and they will move a lot of pieces. I'm not a Trey fan either. I haven't been for a long time. I used to make fun of my old producer, Daniele, about his love (laughs) for Trey Young. And I was like, this is just not a winning player to me. I don't think he gets it. Maybe he will at some point. The talent is all world, but... Defensive liability too. Yeah. Just to me, it's the fact that so many of his teammates don't seem to like playing with him and there's always dysfunction with their group. Yeah. 
he's a young guy, so maybe sometimes you learn that later in your career, but for yeah, guys that are 24 that, already, yeah, like, it's not like he's a kid anymore. And he's also very undersized. Yes. Which matters. Like that is not going to age as well. So they're number one for me. And then the Raptors in the heat heat are going to be fine because they're in Miami. Yes. They're going to attract free agents every year. It's going to be okay. Yeah. But it does kind of feel like the end of a bit of an era for them. And I do wonder what their retool looks like and what it would cost them to get off the Lowry contract. Mm -hmm. And that there was all that smoke around Lowry. And we know about the kind of guy he is having had him play here for so long. Yeah. My guess is that he did not appreciate those rumors. <laughs> and my guess is, is that, well, one, I don't think he's the player that he used to be. In fact, I know he's not the yeah. player that he used to be, but two is just simply, yeah, they, it would take a bit of some hatchet work to make things a lot better in the off season for them. I'm not yeah. sure how that happens. It'll probably 33 too. Yeah. It'll probably be okay, but that's a big puzzle piece, but the Raptors are the other one. And I want to take a quick break and I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about why. At 590 The Fan. Okay, so I did second half pressure teams in the NBA in that first block on what is today Ryan O'Reilly Day. We will get back in the Leafs. I've got Jeremy Roenick coming up in about 10 minutes. Excited to speak with him. But I need to talk quickly about the Raptors. I'm not sure I'm going to do any tomorrow ahead of the game. Maybe just a, a touch to, to set up the New Orleans game. But these are the thoughts I keep having about the Raptors. Why they're one of the biggest pressure teams, Okay. We already know the offseason is going to come with a ton of pressure because, yeah, it, it, something's got to give. We've already established this. They kicked the can down the line, but that had worked for Masai Ujiri in the past where he kicked the can down the line on the Kyle Lowry move, and so, and, and it worked out. He got Precious Achua. That's a no-brainer win for the Raptors. You could still quibble with, and I do, the timing of the Lowry trade, whether or not they should have done it earlier, mm -hmm. whether there were some other deals on the table, whatever. It worked. They didn't do a deal at the deadline that could have involved the Talon Horton Tuckers of the world. They ended up with Precious Achua, unquestionably more valuable piece than THT. Yeah. Cool. This is just a lot more in the offseason. This is now multiple guys who are going to be looking to get paid. Three, that would put them in the luxury tax. Not going to happen. Only happened once in the career of the Raptors. We've gone over these things. Yes. Why is it important for the Raptors to be good? Okay, multitude of reasons. Number one, um, they're bottom half of the league team in defensive rating. And if you're Masai Ujiri and you're Nick Nurse and you are trying to build off of this season, that has to turn around. You're 17th in defensive rating and you're a middle of the pack team when it comes to offensive rating. I actually think the Raptors are a much better team than their record suggests. Obviously, yes. a lot of us do, whatever. That's not exactly a hot take. But I think that they're like shockingly over a lot of other teams that I would even have in that mix of, well, who are the Raptors better than or who on the Raptors are, the, are they better than on their best day? I would have a shocking amount of teams um, below Toronto right now. The problem is, is that they're clearly not in the upper echelon. And this is why it was so frustrating to me that they decided not to sell and take a step backwards. It's because they had an opportunity to potentially add an incredibly valuable asset in the draft mm -hmm. if they could have gotten into the high lotteries, which was still a possibility for them. Had they hit that... And then built off of what they already had combined with a bunch of assets for the trade, I do feel like there was a potential for them to kind of hit that top tier of the NBA, which is where you need to be yeah. quicker rather than later. Now they're just sort of still stuck in that middle gear where they're a very good team, but a team that isn't good enough to win. And that to me is kind of the worst, and that ends up being the most frustrating. And people here already experienced it with the We the North era. 
where yeah. DeMar and Kyle hit a ceiling and it got to the point where we didn't even enjoy watching regular season games. And then you get to the playoffs and it would be really disappointing because you would see that ceiling show up. And I think they're kind of back to that position mm. and they were way better suited doing those other things. But if you are going to inspire confidence, a, I don't think that just being in a play in is good enough for the raps. They got to get into a postseason now. Like, I don't think they're going to make a run at the six seed. I've already outlined as to why I think that is because four teams are locked into spots. The Nets could fall out, but I also have this weird feeling that the Nets are actually going to be a little bit more frisky than we gave them credit for because Mikhail Bridges is really good. Yes. And we got a preview of him with the Suns where they were bad, but he was good enough to win them some games on any given night. And then you just look at the depth that that team has and the fact that those guys probably have some pride to play for in that KD and Kyrie abandoned them when they were a team holding onto the five seed. My guess is that Jacques Vaughn, who just got an extension, will have those guys playing well enough where that lead on the Raptors right now, which I believe is six games, could still matter. Okay? So six and a half games. Yeah. So six and a half games up. What is there? 23 to play? Um, yeah. Okay. Around there. Every team is slightly different. But yeah. yeah. For the Raps. For the Raps. Anyway, I thought that was the number. Yeah, 23. Savant. There you go. Yeah, it remembers they, they everything. 59. <laughs> yes, it remembers everything. Not even looking, just, you know, cold. I think the Nets will probably be able to hover, but maybe they fall into a play-in, whatever. Knicks, I think that they're good enough. I think they're going to continue to play hard. I don't see them blowing that lead, that five-and-a-half game lead against the Raptors, right? Five-and-a-half games Four for and them? Half. Four and a half. Four and a half, okay. Yeah. Damn, right yeah, after the close. Savant. You're close, you're yeah. <laughs> Heat. They feel vulnerable. I think Hawks and Wizards are almost mortal locks to fall below the Raps. The Raps will be in a play-in game. I think they're going to need to win their play-in, and I think they're going to need to get into the postseason. And then that is going to be a bit of an eye-opener for fans, is watching them in the first round where they try to test themselves against one of the Boston, elite teams of the NBA. Exactly. Yes. That's where they get real information about their team. How does Pirtle work? How is Gary Trent working? How is Fred Van Vliet looking in this series? Mm -hmm. What does OG Ananobi do? That's where you take all your pieces, and that's what you stand pat for, is to get more information. Masai's talking about how he got that information at the deadline, and he figured out what the prices of a lot of his players were, blah, 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 blah. That's the information that I'm coveting right now. You lose in a play-in game, and mm. you're just in the murky middle of the lottery, and you're picking ninth, and you didn't get that, that's a disaster to me. Yeah. That's really, really bad. Yeah. And now you've also put yourself in a position where kind of potentially the vibes with some of your players are off, and maybe there isn't a workable scenario with Trent or with Fred Van Vliet where they're looking for signing trades. Maybe OG has diminished his value. Who knows? That was part of the riskiness too of this, right? Yeah. OG's a guy who's coming back from yet another injury. It's possible he gets injured again. Very possible. Okay? It's possible that he does not finish the year looking incredible and it ends up hurting his value going into an offseason where a lot of people feel like there's just this guaranteed floor for him of now three first-round picks. Not so sure. Anyway, I think the Raptors have to be really good. I think that the Pirtle thing has to work out for them spectacularly. I don't think that they're in a position anymore where they can just start keep blowing games mm -hmm. to lesser light teams. And frankly... The Pelicans without Zion, they're one of those teams. You start at home on Thursday, you should be whooping that team's ass. Yeah. Straight up. 
That should be an ass whooping. You should be going and looking at the Raptors schedule and saying, win, win, win. That's a win. That's a win. That's a win. It is not a daunting schedule. They've got some tough teams in there. They're going to have some losses. Of course they are, but they have got to clean up the, we gave one away. We just blew one late. We lost to a crappy Pistons team, or we barely eked one out with that crappy Pistons team, whatever. You've got to beat the Bulls and the Wizards and the Pistons and all these other trash teams and establish like you are better than everybody thought that you were. Yeah. And you've got to get into a playoff spot. That has to be the goal. Fine-tune things, get into a playoff spot, do the same old thing where you get playoff experience so that you can get playoff information. Anyways, I think that there's a ton of pressure. It's a disaster if they lose in a play-in. Yeah, It's actually even better, weirdly, if they just don't make it work and they're actually so bad that they plummet back into the lottery <laughs> thing is that's not going to happen. And there's too many teams that are now going to race to the bottom and there's too many teams that stink and that they're going to end up losing to anyways. Um, let's take a quick break. Be back in. Yeah. Very, very short one. Very, very short break. Uh, Jeremy Roenick tons to talk about with him. Obviously the big acquisition, obviously this Leafs team and yeah, some stuff with him too. All right, quick break. And we'll come back with Jeremy Roenick. The Canadian. Why are playing the Sabres goal song? They lost. You know what this is? It's a pretty sweet, actually, goal song. It's way better than Hall & Oates. I got to say, DMX, that hit hard when they scored. I went, whoa, it's nasty. That feels good. That feels good in the Buffalo area. Uh, my next guest, Jeremy Roenick, uh, over 500 goals, 1,200 points. What's up, buddy? How we doing? I'm doing amazing. How are you guys doing? Always good to be on up in Canada. I good, love it. Man. Good. No, we love having you, honestly. Uh, so I'm, I'm researching for you know this interview. I'm just making sure I got all my P's and Q's covered. I got to tell you, I really love your website. Um, I just My favorite part about it is like the first picture is you looking intense, and there's a caption that just says, I'm intense. And I went, yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, it's, been my, it's been my whole life intense. Yeah. But, um, in, you know, I think you, you have to have that sort of uh, kind of demeanor to do what, what I did for 20 years and put up with some of the stuff that I had to put up for 20 years. But um, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun playing up here in Toronto. I had a lot of fun playing in Chicago and being in the league and entertaining a lot of fans and making a lot of fans very unhappy with my play. Yes, great. 100%. 100%. And, you know, I, I actually did want to we'll, – we'll start with the stuff about you, actually. We'll get into Leafs a little bit later. Because, okay, this has been a real – um, hobby horse of mine this year. I've actually been feeling a real lack of intensity in the NHL on a lot of given nights. And it was why I was so, lo so looking forward to Leaf Sabres is because that young Sabres team, they have some bite to them. And I knew that they were going to have pushback against the Leafs. They've got some guys with some sneaky physicality. I just, I enjoy watching them play. And I wanted to see them push Toronto because a lot of nights, man, like I do the Leafs post game show. It's uh, like, <sighs> you, you got to watch Anaheim or your old Blackhawks teams. Or, man, Montreal, you can go down. There's a lot more teams I could name that you watch the game and you go, boy, this is a real sleepy product. This is a lot of shinny. This is, all right, cool. We saw some nice plays. There's some skill in the game. We're missing a lot of other stuff. But, yeah, the 82-game regular season, it's starting to feel like, one, way too long, and two is just some of the stuff, like the hitting, the fighting, whatever. Some of it's gone. Some of it's fine. But, the lack of intensity in the game today does seem to bother me. And a lot of former players I talk to, it feels like they, it bothers them a little bit too. H how do you feel about just like the state of the game right now? Well, I think um, you said it perfectly. Um, and I will tell you this, this is the game that, the, that, you know, Gary Bettman, National Hockey League wanted. Yeah. This is the type of 
of product that they wanted to put on the ice, and that is extreme talent, extreme speed, uh, without the without the physicality, without the fighting, uh, without the the aspect that uh, that might um, turn people off or offend people or whatever the case may be. But uh, I was actually it's funny you you, you mentioned Buffalo because I went, went to the Buffalo Kings game last week expecting to see kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I sat two, I sat two seats in the glass and usually when you sit glassy you're going to see guys hitting their face. You're going to hear big crashes on the glass in front of you. You're you're going to look up and say, "Oh my gosh, what is that that is just so intense." And those yeah. are the seats that usually make the game exciting for the fan and yeah. really make the fan feel like, wow, this is a powerful game. I didn't see one hit. There wasn't one hit in front of me. Um, there was not one four check where a guy finished their check. Um, it's almost like it's almost like hitting is uh, kind of, uh, it, it's, it's a no-go anymore. Uh, fighting is definitely uh, pretty much the exit of the game. And whether you like that stuff or not, uh, for us, for myself being, uh, you know, I, I'm a traditionalist. I love the old school hockey. I love mm-hmm. the fights. I love the hard hitting and, it's just not the same game, but I will say these guys are become more talented than they had ever been, faster than they ever been, and stronger than they ever been. Um, but you're right; it's, I go through a lot of games turning the channel because it's just it's, it's the same same thing every single night. And it's, you know, but it's again, it's it's still a good product, but it's not as entertaining without the, the physicality and the fighting. I, I believe. No, I, I think uh, everyone kind of backs you up because the game of the year so far was Flames. Rangers, and what did that game have? Everything, hitting, Everything. intensity, yep. fighting, and I—I I was never a fan of the, the the fake fights, right? Where it was just okay, these two guys are going on; they're just going to do it right now, and it's going to be a part of the spectacle or them basically justifying a job. It was whatever. I wasn't like offended by it. I was never like, oh, put it away. But I definitely <laughs> wasn't like, oh, this is amazing. But what I do like about fighting is what we ta- started this with is intensity, right? It's that these two guys boil up so much that they're just like, I hate your guts. I'm going to punch your face. And it's like, awesome. That's great. I'm so glad that you guys hate each other. And I hadn't thought about the boards thing. That's so true. Like, Man, think about being in those seats when Chris Pronger played. And you're like, oh, my God, this is oh, going to yeah. be so great. <laughs> I'm going to see. Well, I will tell you this. I will yeah. tell you this. My, my, I mean, my eyes lit up seeing the puck get dumped in the corner and chasing the defenseman down. Yeah. Because, because there was going to be a big hit. Um, and the defenseman knew he was going to get his, his face smashed against the glass. And that you know, people people they react to that. They mm-hmm. it, it, it lifts it lifts the building, and, and you're and you're right. There's no question about it that the physicality is um, is a part of the game that was so exciting to watch. And you know, and, and the intensity has dropped. It's like it's almost like the rivalries are not as important anymore. You don't have that hatred of another team. It's um, and it seems like a lot of teams want to go through unscathed and. You know, just get the two points rather than put a you know put a hurt, hurting on a team. I I mean, when I used to play the St. Louis Blues, the Detroit Red Wings, and Minnesota North, we we wanted to put a hurting on them and, and have them feel pain because mm-hmm. of the hatred between the cities. And uh, you don't see that kind of that kind of rivalry anymore, which which is again another reason why you see the game the way it is yeah. on the ice. But I but I still think a lot of the fans think they want to see it in the stands, but it's just I think it's it's history now. No, straight up, I don't know why hockey's gone away from it. I think it's one of the biggest bozo things that they've ever done with a product. I completely agree that Batman is insanely complicit in all this. Like, even yesterday, 
Um, I'm looking at this and going, why do the Leafs only play their divisional opponents a couple of times a year in the regular season? Like, who cares? Like, you gotta yeah, well, look at the, look at look at the rules they implemented. I know, and I know you want to protect. The, you, I know you want to protect the players. Sure. You want to protect some some heads from concussions and make sure that the players' health health safety is number one. But when you st- when you start throwing in rules like penalties, like you get a you get a penalty if you just hit somebody with your in the hand with a stick, just a little tap on the hand is a penalty. Mm-hmm. Now, now you're talking about oh my gosh, I can't even touch the guy's hand with my stick to lift up his stick, and I'm supposed to hit somebody hard or fight somebody. And every every check that seems to hit the head, you're going to get suspended. And these guys are afraid to do something and hit hard because that head is going to jolt and it's going to look bad. And next thing you know, you're losing. These guys are losing a hundred thousand dollars with with, uh, with suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, that is what the league wanted, and this is what the league has gotten. Yeah, um, I don't think there's a single person on earth that wants to see guys get hurt. But it's sports. No, not at all. But it's sports, and like you're gonna get mm-hmm. hurt. And there's a degrees to this, of course. But like, I just watched the NBA All Star game, and LeBron hurt his hand on the rim. Like. You can get hurt in a variety. Of, like it just, you know, it just the 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 overprotection of this to be like we're gonna try to get this to 100. percent We're gonna try to get this to as close as we possibly can. It's like at some point you do diminish your product, and at some point you do start to take things away. And I've said this, man. I've been saying this for years. If the NHL just wants to be a skill league, why would I watch it? Like why would I watch well, it over it, all of the other sports? Like it's the it's yeah, the intensity well, that made it. Yeah, and it is it is the generations, right? So as the generations go, the wussification of sports continues. Um, Big time. You know, whether it's whether it's um, everybody gets a trophy, make everybody feel good. Uh, let's not hurt each other. Let's um, you know, don't yell at me. Um, all, all that, all the all the wussification, the pajama boys that we that have kind of um, you know have come into fruition, in not just sports but all of all of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, we're seeing a lot of things happen in, in, in the world because of that kind of mentality when a hard day's work, feeling a little pain, getting yelled at every once in a while, having uh, repercussions for doing bad things or, you know, having consequences. It's just not, it's kind of null and void in these days. We've got to make sure everybody feels good and has a, you know, a nice, safe day and we don't don't hurt physically or mentally and it's you know unfortunately this what this is the times that we're in and we have to live by them i guess yeah but i do feel like the that there's already a correction happening straight up like i so i've got guys on my show who are in their early 20s right a bunch of them and they're listening to you talk right now and they're all going like yes he's, he's saying the truth like even they want you know like they want a little bit more of that like they're missing out on it now like i think that a lot of these people are starting to feel like okay this has been overly sheltered and like oh my god this actually doesn't really reflect my real life um this is something that like gets blown up either through social media or whatever and people start to capitulate to it but it does feel like it's swinging back the other way and that's, oh, I hope you're right. Oh, I, I hope you're right. I, I, I hope man, you're right. Yeah. I, don't you feel that in your everyday conversation, though? It's like, man, everybody's frustrated with a lot of those things that you're talking about. That's not like the pervasive attitude. That's just held by a few small people, and they propagate it a ton, and then people are afraid to stick up to them and go, like, actually, I don't really feel the way that you do. Um, but they're the ones who it's like, if you make them uncomfortable, they'll make the biggest scene, and you just go, ah, forget it. You know? Like, ah, just, exactly. I, I, I'm not going to deal exactly. with this today. I don't have the emotional energy for it, and I don't want to be painted as a villain by every single person that supports you. And so everybody steps back. But I do think eventually, like little bit by bit, what is going to happen is it is going to go the other way. Where people are like, ah, you know, uh, like 
even with the Truba thing, right, from the, the game the other night, I saw, like, and this has been happening throughout his tenure now with the Rangers over the last couple of years, where whenever he throws a big hit, somebody tries to come out with a, like, hey, do we need to get rid of these hits? And then everybody loses their mind. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, no, 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 no. It's like universal. There's like very little, and then it kind of like goes away. But people try to trot that one out, but it gets louder the other direction just about every single time. And I think people watching the NHL this year especially, like just some of the, qu- the questions and the conversations that I've had with so many different people, it's like, yeah, um, there's a bit of getting fed up with just how much prioritization it's happening to make things easier and how to make things just everything safer and more comfortable and no criticism. And it's just like, I I do, man, I feel like it's going the other way. I I just, that's my anecdotal evidence, but it's just how I feel. I, I sure hope, I sure hope that you're right. And, Mm. but you know, there are, there are ramifications for that because you do see, um, and the national hockey league, um, with the ratings, television ratings, especially in the States, I don't know how it is up in Canada. It's just, they're dismal. They're yeah. awful. And I think a lot of that is because there's, it's the same old hockey every night. There's no big hits. There's no fights. It's that the, the television aspect of hockey is you can't get by just watching the speed. You like to see guys get hit. You like to see blood. You like to see big, you know, you like to see the fights and that that's what brings people to watch things on TV. And then, then you have the, you know, the stale, the stale commentators and the stale people on there that, that, that just, that just do the National Hockey League bidding and just praise everybody rather than mm-hmm. tell people the truth and have character and have personality and, 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 and entertain by teaching and actually telling the truth about what they're seeing and being able to talk about the referees when they're bad or talk about Alex Ovechkin when he's bad or Sidney Crosby when he's bad or mm-hmm. Connor McDavid when he's great, you know, which he is most nights. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's, a, it's watered down. And I, I do hope you're right. And it's, it turns around because it is the best in the world by far with the best athletes. Well, I mean, the the league can just look to the most popular podcast that it has, which is Spit and Chicklets, where it's like guys who try to be a little bit more honest in their assessment of the players. There you go. And it's like, yeah, who bring on guys there to tell go. actual stories of the league. And yeah, uh, one guy in particular who was like an energy guy who would fight <laughs> and that people like hearing those stories. Like, yeah, it's just, it's so painfully clear that this is the way. And so at some point, I do think that like these places are going to have to make more business decisions and it is going to come down to money. And the issue I have or the, the scary part of it is just that there's so much money that they go, yeah, well, we can't even screw it up. We can't even like, who cares that TV ratings are down. We already made this television deal that we don't think is bad. We're already collecting this money. We're going to see gate revenue go up, all these different things. Fine. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, franchise values are going to continue to increase. We don't really need it. That's the scary part to me. But if they're actually making it like, hey, what's actually the best thing for business? It's always being transparent. It's always trying to tell the truth. It is being critical when criticism is warranted. And I think one of the things that pisses me off the most about when we have conversations like this is that you always have the person that tries to make the straw man where they go, oh, you just have a bloodlust. And it's like, that's not it at all. I just want the intensity back in the game. I just want to feel like the guys that are out there really care that they really want to win this and that it feels extremely important to them. And it's starting to feel more and more again with the, like you said it, the wussification of sports is like NBA, NHL, whatever, these two leagues, they're suffering from a similar problem, which is that a lot of the guys don't really seem to put a big impetus on regular season games. And the playoffs is always just going to be a solid product. It's going to be a good product because the intensity comes back and the NHL, you just, you can't fake it. And it shows up there every single time. 
But boy, like, why am I watching 82 of these games? Why am I watching 60 of these games if on a lot of those nights the players are kind of like, yeah, yeah, um, I don't, I'm not going to do anything other than try to have the skill? Well, I'll tell you another reason. And, um, you know, everybody loves getting paid. And everybody, you know, the, these athletes that are making the money that they're making with the astronomical amounts of money, especially in basketball. Yeah. You know, when you have when you get paid this this type of money that they're gonna pay now and, and granted I, I not that I don't think that they're worth it because if, if they're gonna get paid that and the and the owners are gonna pay that then so be it, you know, all the power to them. But but that kind of money will lead to uh will lead to um this this kind of this type of attitude. Um mm. you know, when you're comfortable, comfortable leads to complacency. And when you're complacent and you you don't have anything to really fear, like financially like some of these guys that get hurt that look like they like they they just got hit against the board they fall down you miss but now they're out for five you know five or six days mm-hmm. when they could probably play the next day there's 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 these guys are making so much money they, they don't have to fear not performing or not being uh, you know not being in the game or missing a game i remember if i missed a game in early in my career making you know Two hundred fifty thousand dollars and three hundred thousand dollars. If I didn't, if I didn't, if I missed a game and somebody came in and took my spot and did better than me, I was going to the minors or something was going to happen. You know, that's the way I thought. So I was afraid and I fought for that job because we weren't comfortable. We we had to fight for it. And I think these guys make so much money. There's really nothing to be really um, afraid of or, or or worry about or fight for. It's given to them. So when it's given to them, you can see, oh, I'm not going to get hurt tonight. Just to make sure I go out and have a nice, easy night. Or if I do get hurt, I can take, you know, a week off instead of just, uh, you know, two days just to let it heal. I don't want to play with any pain or play injured. don't have to do that. I mean, that's what, that's what hockey is all about. That's old school type of mentality. So I think that there's definitely some truth to that, especially when it comes to the age in which guys get paid now, like where they get the security if you have some pedigree. Like if you can put together a couple of early seasons because of the hard cap, they've really incentivized teams paying guys before they've really shown that worth. And we already right. do it. We're right. like, you know, Dylan Cousins, who's one of my favorite guys in the NHL. Like he's he's getting paid over seven sheets uh, based on a couple. Like he just scored 20 goals for the first time. And they're like, yep, yeah. that's seven yeah. million dollars. But teams have to do it because of the hard cap. And then you're already getting paid like so young that that second deal, it's just, it's harder to stay incentivized the same way. I did like it when restricted free agency was like those bridge deals, you know, where some guys would go, no, I want to prove that I'm worth a ton more um, and have that incentive. But I, I think that the pathway now is because there's no putting, it's, there's, it's true. Yeah. There's, you know, that, that happened with Jack, you know, Jack Eichel with, yep. you know, that, you know, they get, All of them. they're getting paid on, they're getting paid on potential, yep. which is, which is a very dangerous thing. Clayton Keller. Did the same thing. Luckily, you know he's he's grown into into himself. He's having a great year this year. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I, I think Cousins and I agree with you. I think Cousins is going to be worth it because I think he's got a, he's got a style of game that you have faith that he's going to compete and he's going to get better and better. Um, some some of the guys you, you you hope and wonder, but um, just sometimes don't pan out. But it's a dangerous it's a dangerous method for sure. Yeah, my only hope is that the way that you resonate with these guys in terms of, yeah, I don't know, caring or getting more intense or whatever the hell it is, is that you just say things like, listen, the game actually can grow even more. Like this can be more popular 
And so you do have to have more buy-in and the whole, like, you're too cool for this attitude that is, again, throughout sports where no one wants to just be a hockey player, an NBA player anymore. They want to be, like, an entrepreneur and a hockey player and have all these other things. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's great. That's cool. You have your quote-unquote brand, but the brand should start with being the guy who cares. And I'm telling you, like, I really do think that there is a void right now for guys that can just come in and fill that where they will be infinitely more popular. Look at Marshan right now. Like, look at the moment that he's having around hockey where he's the only guy that's really, like, openly talking trash. And, man, like, this is Toronto where everybody should hate Marshan the most, right? Like, facts. Everybody here hates his guts when he's on the ice. But now he's kind of like a hero. <laughs> like people love Marshan yeah. because he's the one yeah. that goes out there and says things and, you know, uh, like pokes the bear on social media and he does it. And I'm like, how do you guys not, how do so many of you not see that potential there? And you were good at capitalizing on that too, right? Like the personality side of it as well is you were never 100%. afraid to kind of be you and put yourself out there and say stuff. And yeah, there's things that have bit you in the ass. And frankly, I'm guessing you probably feel the way I do, which is like saying a lot of those things is probably the only reason you're not in the hockey hall of fame right now um but yeah that that part of it allowed you to become so much bigger than you know who you were as a player was that people gravitated towards you because you were not afraid to be you yeah it's kind of crazy and 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 i did i was one of those outspoken people because i i did give what people wanted they wanted entertainment they wanted hard hitting they wanted ferocity they wanted uh they wanted a personality and they wanted the truth sometimes. And sometimes, you know, I said a lot of things that, you know, that I believed in and a lot of people didn't like. Um, whether it's truth or not, it's, it's you know, it's everybody's how they decipher it. Um, you know, you mentioned the Hall of Fame, right? And I totally agree with you. Um, you know, to, to, to even believe that, you know, that some of the things that you say are because you were a controversial person in the media is why you're not in, is why you're not in the Hall of Fame. I would assume that that's why I think my numbers speak for themselves and my career speaks for themselves and what I did for the game speaks for themselves. And seeing some of the guys that have gone in over the last few years, definitely my numbers speak for themselves. So the you know you can't have the oh well he didn't win a Stanley Cup uh, excuse anymore. So um, and and there are people in that Hall of Fame that have have tainted past that have criminal records that have done things in the past, but they're there. So. I mean, there is definitely something there, and that people ask me that all the time. You know, you know, you know, are you a Hall of Famer? And I give my answer, but my question always back is, well, you tell me why I'm not. So that's what I that's what I'd like to know. But uh, you know, I, that's that that ship has kind of sailed for me. But um, you think it's done? You, you think it's sailed? You, you don't think you'll ever get in? I, I don't. I don't believe so. Not me. For you know. You know, for some reason, for some reason, you know, there's people that have that have it out for me, and for whatever that reason is, that that I think I'll probably go to the grave with them. But um, I'm not holding my breath. But there's, um, you know, my life is great. I had a great career. I've had, I made so many great friends through the through the game, and it's the best game in the world. And and you know, I'm I'm really good in my skin. So um, you know, I'll continue to be the the person that I am, and. and I meet fans on a daily basis, and, and you know that they they see they see me um, a lot different than the media has portrayed me or some of these other people have portrayed me. So I love the game. I'm a big component of the game, and I'm, I was a big fan person, big big fan person, and I continue to be because I I gave them their money's worth in a lot of different aspects. So love me or hate me for that, um, you know it's it's why it's why they you know why I was the type of player that I was. 
I think you'll go in. Um, I think, so one thing I didn't realize until I started getting into media and I'd been around it for a little while was just how political the Hockey Hall of Fame could be. Um, like, you're not the only guy that has suffered from this. You're definitely at the very top of the pile. But, like, yeah, you look at other dudes like Alex McGillney, and he was like, why Why is he not in? And you'll hear responses from people. They'll be like, he doesn't have the international resume. It's like he defected from Russia. <laughs> like, an action. Alexander, uh, Alexander McGillney probably had the largest effect in the National Hockey League yeah. um, by paving the way for Russian players to come. If he doesn't defect and take his life into his own hands and yes. his family and leaving his family and taking the chance to defect, the Russians wouldn't be here today. Yeah. He made one of the biggest biggest impacts of the National Hockey League and the fact that he scored 485 goals. He has the Stanley Cup. He's been in the Olympics. Um, you know, he has over 1,000 points. And he, he had that much of an effect on the game of hockey is mind-boggling to me. The fact that, that Curtis Joseph, who was for the longest time the fourth-leading goal, uh, goalie in, in hockey history, Mm-hmm. And two guys have passed, two guys have passed them now that that you know that that had the shootout with no ties, you know, the fact that Curtis Joseph is not in there, the fact that Theo Fleury, coming out of probably one of the most horrific junior uh, experiences of the, uh, of sexual um, of, of a sexual predator and coming overcoming that to win a Stanley Cup, score 455 goals. Mm-hmm. Um, Win a, win a gold medal in the Olympics, have the career that a small man was able to do in the National Hockey League. You get some of the field flurries, not a Hall of Famer. you got to be kidding me. So those are the ones that kind of make me more more boggled and angry than just myself. Yeah, again, it's a, it's a long list, and you know that there is politicking that's involved in it. And I think that's... Um, I think that hurts the game because the hall is not supposed to be sure for a small does. group sure of people. It it's supposed to be for the fans. It diminishes, it, 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 but it diminishes what what the Hall of Fame is supposed to mean. 100%. And that, that's wrong. I mean, it used, to be, it used to be a dream. It used to be an absolute dream of mine. Absolute dream of mine. And it's no longer a dream of mine. So I, I can honestly tell you that it's no longer a dream at all. I, I just the reason why I do think that you will eventually get in is that there's just there's going to be turnover with the people who decide these things. And yeah, the longer this goes on, and in your case, in McGillney's case, and those guys you mentioned, it just it is going to become a little bit more undeniable, and people will start to kind of pick things up. And yeah, in, in your case, and and I think like in the case of all those guys that you mentioned, this is where so, like sometimes I actually get frustrated at the like basketball Hall of Fame because they go too much in that direction where a guy wasn't a great player necessarily, and they'll go yeah, but look at the impact on the game, and you're like all oh, right, yeah, you can make that case, especially guys from different countries. But I think about like you as an American-born player, and just yeah, like the. Um, impact that you had on the game, yeah, off the ice as well. And I'm like, yeah, you combine that with the numbers and it's an absolute no-brainer. I, I do think that things will kind of get there for you. Like, I uh, I hope that, or it sounds great that you're, you know, at peace with a lot of this and that you understand a lot of this and that it hasn't, you know, diminished any part of you to have it. But yeah, I still think that that, that is going to happen for you. Um, yeah. All right, so... Well, I will tell you this, I will, I will tell you this, but just finish this yeah. thing off. Um, the, one of the main reasons I, I really look forward to the Hall of Fame was so my so my dad could see it happen. Um, my dad sacrificed um, more than I could possibly ever even explain to you to put me in the right places and never miss a game of mine in the National Hockey League, whether it was in person or on the television. And um, you know, he passed away in uh, January of 2021, and that was nine years after I was eligible 
to be to be inducted and I didn't get to see that. So that's um that's one of the things that really bothers me. That that is the thing that bothers me the most is that my if it does happen, my dad um wasn't able to see it. And I I you know I can't help but hold a little bit of a grudge about that because it's my dad. Yeah, man, of course. Like that that will never leave. Like that's just the way that it is. And you know, speaking as someone who's also lost his father, I can tell you that yeah, there is a weirdness to whatever accomplishment you end up having that is inspired by that person or that person helped you build. I think that like the only solace that you can kind of offer to somebody is just knowing, hey, all right, well, um, that you are there because of that person and that they still celebrate that accomplishment because of like, yeah, they still are a part of that, even if they're not witnessing it. And that the, the only thing, the other part of it too is like, your dad always knew you were a Hall of Famer. Like, there's no part of your dad that would have, you know, I'm sure he would have had an amazing time with the moment. It would have been great, you know, but there was zero part of him that ever watched any of those games and wasn't like, oh, I wonder if my son's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. <laughs> yeah, that's well, a good way to put it. Good yeah. way to put it. I like your, I, I like your mentality. Thank yeah. you. I mean, it's the only one that you can put. It feels weird now for me to ask you about the Leafs. <laughs> I'm like, who cares? No, do it. Do it. I love, no, I <laughs> yeah. love, what's, going, I love what's going on with the Leafs. I yeah. really do. All I right. really do. Well, what did you think about the O'Reilly trick? Because I know you watched yesterday, and it's just like, yeah, this is a team that's been searching for those winning kind of players. And some people thought maybe he wasn't the same guy that he used to be. And last night, you know, just hat trick and makes feel deeper. And uh, yeah, I, that first 15, 20 minutes of the game is as good as they've played all season. Do you feel like, yeah, this is a different group? W- what do you think actually plays out for them? Because yeah, obviously Tampa's a juggernaut. They've got a ton in front of them. But yeah, um, mm-hmm. is this team different than in years past to you? Uh, they look it and they're playing like it. And I think picking up a guy like, like O'Reilly is such a huge component that they need. Um, you know, Ryan O'Reilly was the guy that led led St. Louis to a Stanley Cup. He won the Smythe. He was just the, the epitome of consistency and was able to do so much in, in so many different uh, variations of the game, whether it was offensively, defensively, face-offs, you know, putting the puck in the net, making plays. And he's not a flashy player, but he's a player that, uh, that will that will be the same every shift, every night. And I think that's going to really, um, it's going to help the team with their, their line, their, their line matchups and, mm-hmm. you know, who they play him against and who they play with him. But in the locker room, it's going to be a different feel. And I think even in that locker room, they feel like, like this could be their year. I mean, John Tavares is having another great year. Uh, you never have to worry about Matthews. Marner's having a phenomenal year. Nylander's playing consistent. Um, their their goaltending has been um, has been okay, uh, but it's it's getting over that that the nerves of that first round. You know mm-hmm. they have not won since I scored against them in 2004. I hate you they for that still. By the way, yeah, I just yeah, really I do. It I hurt. Know. That's I, one of the worst I, moments I, I of my you. sporting I life. You. I love you for that. No. You know, they do have the J, they do have the JR Jinx, but oh. I do think I do <laughs> think that this could be the year that they, their confidence is is high and that it's just like we've had enough. And getting O'Reilly, I think, was one of the uh, was one of the best um, could have been one of the best um, acquisitions that they could have asked for because it was the type of player that he brings. And he puts three goals up last night. He's excited to be there. He's got new new life. I I do love the Leafs. I hope they I hope they they do win a cup because I think the Leaf fans are, are heavily overdue for a championship. It would be nice to see that happen. Um, 
If you really felt that way, you wouldn't either. have scored that goal. You know, like you had a chance to prove it, and you didn't, and you scored instead. And oh, like, I love. Oh, uh, listen, I, I love, I love playing in Toronto. I love being a thorn mm-hmm. in in the side of the Toronto Maple Leaf fans in Toronto. But um, my respect for the city, the fans, and the, and the team is immense. And um, I, I like what I see. I really do. Again, it was a different time, so you couldn't celebrate it the same way as you could then, as you can now. Um, but yeah, the emotional roller coaster ride of watching Tucker just eviscerate Kapanen and him crawling to the Maybe. bench and feeling like, oh my God, they're going to do this. Yeah. And then you scoring like r- immediately after. That yeah. is an all time, like, as a sports fan, you sit there sometimes and you go, like, this can't be real. You know, like, I'm a Seahawks never, fan. It happened to me in a Super Bowl yeah. against the Patriots yeah. where Wilson throws the interception and you yeah. just sit there for like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes where you're like, do it over, you know, like something's yeah. going to happen and someone's <laughs> going to come down from the booth. I don't know. And be yeah. like, I've never, I've never heard a building so loud. Yeah. Go so, go so quiet so fast in my life. Uh, it was, it was, it was definitely one of the most eerie and most exciting things that's ever happened to me in, in hockey. For I'm, sure. I'm still mad. I'm literally like, I clenched my fists when you're talking about this. I was yeah. like, I hear I'm it every st- time. I hear it every time I'm, I'm in Canada. Still mad. Every I, time I'm in Canada. I, I know. Yeah. My, like, my palms are sweating. I'm just like, I just want to tell you, like, I'm just mad. I'm just <laughs> mad at you. Okay? Well, I have nowhere else to go. That's one of the best compliments you can give me. I know. Thank you again. I know. <laughs> and that's the worst part is that I'm giving you exactly what makes you feel good. It's like, I want to be like, I don't care. Yeah. But I do. I yeah. still care. Yeah. I still care and I hate it. And young me is just still devastated. There's a piece of me somewhere that's like, that's one of the worst things that I watched in sports. Uh, Jeremy Roenick, hey, man, thanks for coming on. I hope we do this again. Like, uh, definitely try yeah. to hit you up again come playoff time. Uh, hopefully you'll still be watching right. these leagues. And I hope you get your wish that your favorite team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, will end up getting a Stanley Cup. I believe it. Well, well, you have my number. I will be available for you anytime. Always love coming on, talking hockey. I really appreciate the, all the kind words. Too. Absolutely, Very man. Nice of you. Hey, take care, Jerry. Right. Thanks, man. Okay. Uh, 500 goals on the show, 1,200 points. And, yeah, definitely an impact on the game off the ice. So, yeah, Hall. Absolutely Hall. Hall for McGillney. Hall for JR. It's not for the people. It's not a club that you're supposed to be like, do we like the person? It's supposed to be for the fans and to celebrate the accomplishment of the players. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to be political. And also, I think that that dude gets an absolutely raw deal in that regard. Um, Yeah, he had personality. And this is the weird one. Like, I'm going to talk to Richie Lurea today. And one of the questions I have for him is like, yo, can you teach that level of intensity that he has? Do you know why Richie Lurea is my favorite player? It's because he's the intense bulldog on the team. Mm-hmm. You might see the commonality between the athletes that I enjoy <laughs> through listening to this podcast. I'm sure there's some people out here that are like, JD, just give it up. Like, why do you keep bringing this up? It's because I care. I want the games to succeed. I want the games to thrive. Yeah. I want people to feel... Sports are about stakes. It's not about skill. Mm -hmm. People are skilled in all different walks of life. There are so many different skills. Why is it that you watch a trick shot video and you go, that's cool, but then you don't care and you don't remember that person's name because there's no stake. Yeah, you forget it 20 minutes later. There's no stake. It takes an incredible amount of skill for a lot of these guys to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. Who cares? No stakes. You got to have stakes. How do you have stakes? Emotion. Emotion and care. And so that's it. I'll kind of keep hammering this because this is something like I deeply believe in and I know the power of sports, 
But again, for the power of sports to exist, there has to be stakes. There has to be energy. There has to be that. So yeah, I do appreciate guys like Jeremy Roenick more in hindsight who are like fearless with what they would say off the ice. Not everything is going to be perfect. Nobody is perfect. So Mm -hmm. like this whole judgment that we have of people where we go like, you have to uphold this standard. It's like, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. And the standard in which like we've held certain people is outrageous too, whether it's like they have a different political belief or ideology than you. It's like all of a sudden, you know, they're vilified. They're not a human. And it's like, no, 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 no. We've gone way too far with some of this stuff. But like I mentioned, I am optimistic that some things will swing the other way. I just keep thinking about it from a business standpoint for some of these guys where I go, how can you guys not connect the dots between the Marshan thing and the JRs of the world and the spit and chicklets guys and realize that there is just a huge fan base for you. And what scares me is that it still feels like up top, like Gary Bettman's league, which mm-hmm. is the fall in line, do as we say, be quiet, go to work. Traditional, to, yeah, the way it's always been. That That's the thing. Guys still feel the repercussions. They fear the idea that you could have 500 goals and 1,200 points and be one of the most influential American-born players to ever lace them up mm-hmm. and not get in the hall. Yeah. And maybe it's not the hall consideration, but maybe it's a roster consideration. Maybe it's a minutes consider. You know, like there shouldn't sports are supposed to be meritocracy. It's not supposed to be political here. Yes, and so it sucks that hockey still feels like it has that element. Mm-hmm. If you're a boring guy and you don't have stuff to say and you just want to play hockey, great. I'm not trying to force you to have it. But you tell me in the, this league, hundreds of players that there aren't more guys that have a funny thing to say <laughs> or a, a strong opinion to share. Yeah. Like, or have on. some layer of personality that they yes, can show. Yes, come on. Anyway, so yeah, that was exciting to talk to JR. I really wasn't expecting it to kind of go in that direction, I'll yeah. be honest, the entire time. It started there. I was going to go with Leafs and then ask him a question or two about his career. But yeah, <laughs> I really wanted to hit on the Leafs and he's an American-born guy. I did wonder what his thought is on Kane, but we can ask him that again. I'm sure we'll be able to get him back on. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. Let's come back and let's close the show out. All right, good stuff today. I know I didn't do probably enough on Ryan O'Reilly, but if you want, that was there on Leafstock last night. So subscribe, review, go listen. We gave about 40 minutes of post-game talk, longer episodes, yeah, so it it's all one. there. If you're not sick of me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, subscribe, review, leave five stars, share it on Twitter, share it on Insta, do whatever. Tell somebody about it. Mm. Stop somebody in the street today. Be like, you know, those people with the flyers that try to get you, and you have to always be like, what? No, that's got to be one of the worst jobs on planet Earth. Like giving up flyers, like at street corners, you're standing and stuff? out in the cold and trying to solicit donations for things, and you're like, yo, I I know you're trying to do a good thing, probably. Like yeah. every time you're passing, you go, this is probably a, a really cause. kind person who's nice, who's caring about like <laughs> the environment or something, and I just cruise past every time. <laughs> They used to be me. I used to do stop for a second and do the plight. Now I just point at my headphones if I ever make eye contact and pretend to, to be on, on the phone. phone. Yeah. Or am on the phone and do not interrupt. What? You're going to you stop Shout for everything. Shout out public you outreach. Shout out those are the people that do that. Sure. JD, don't blow past them. Come on, man. They're Again, doing it for Austin, good cause. I'm bi- I have, donations. Come on, man. I knew this was coming. Yeah. Like, Austin, your word means nothing after we learned that you tip KFC. <laughs> 
coffee you time, that everything. Fifteen percent right you away. Can't double time. down on it, man. You are such a you coffee can't time guy. Double <laughs> yeah. down on it. Never in the history of anything has there been a more coffee time guy than you. Like you <laughs> are, you are There's Joe Coffee else Time. There at the time, you know, you walk by. Unbelievable. Every Austin time I go buy one, I'm like, who would ever go in there? And then there's Austin sitting there having his coffee and then a dart and being like, I love it here. <laughs> this is my people. Anyway. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, what do we miss with the show today? So at All Star Media Availability, Coffee, yeah. Kevin Durant had some comments about Trader Quest. Mm-hmm. This comes from ESPN, and he said, when a player can kind of dictate where he wants to go and leave in free agency or demand a trade, it's just a part of the game now. So I don't cool. think it's a bad thing. It's bringing more and more excitement to the game. Mm. Okay. What are your anyway, thoughts on trade requests? It's not fully wrong. Some truths to that. Trade requests can be exciting, and they mm-hmm. do generate a lot of conversation around basketball. My only thing would be um, it's gone a little bit too far. Uh, to me, part of the reason why some fans don't want to invest so much in certain players is because they are afraid that they're going to walk. Mm-hmm. There should be something, and I think they will figure this out in the CBA, that strongly incentivizes players not doing this. Like, I don't know what it's going to look like, but yes, they the, the game does not feel the way that Kevin Durant does. And and the the main talking point around basketball should be the product. It shouldn't be stars requesting trades and asking out and leaving franchises completely decimated. So, yeah, there's some truth to this. It's a little annoying. And, yeah, it's clearly the worst guy to ask. It's like, hey, guy <laughs> that has moved around a bunch and granted only one trade request, kind right. of, right? Well, yeah. No, like, there's smoke of two. one last year. Yeah, too. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He had two sort of requests, but one that was actually granted. All his other times was him signing, which is totally within. Yep. Hey, you become a free agent, you leave. Cool, do your thing. Yep. You played out your contract in the place that you were. Mm-hmm. Awesome. One trade request. So coming off of it, him trying to go. This is a good thing for everybody involved. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, um, sure. Not really taking your word to mean <laughs> much here. You're. He doubled down on it later saying, like, it brought, like, like look at all the attention we got from when me and Kai, Kyrie Irving, mm-hmm. like, requested the trades. We got a lot of, like, clicks and stuff like that. So that was kind of, like, his elaboration you subscribe on it. to all press is good press, fine. Mm-hmm. I particularly don't think, again, with all of these things, you, you can have too much of something. Mm. Like, you can have too much. And you can certainly have too much drama. And you can have too much player movement. And I think the NBA is sort of starting to reach that point now. The, pl- the playoff movement or the playoff movement? The player movement. Player movement. Yeah, I don't with know trade I requests. Yeah. Like, I don't think that a guy like of Kevin Durant's uh, stature, and he's in one where oof, Kyrie Irving did it first and James Harden did it, but again, he's the yeah. guy that surrounded himself with those pieces. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think trade requests can be fun. Um, I really do empathize with the fan bases that get hit with them because it sucks to have to go through that as a fan when you've invested mm-hmm. so much into a player. Um, now it feels like the player doesn't want you, doesn't want to be there anymore, and it's like, well... Yeah, but again, damn. what he says is true. Yeah. Like, a lot of the conversations that we get out of this for media members and for fans is about where someone should go and yeah. whether it's a good move. So, yeah, Trades he's not... Trades are exciting. Like, he's not wrong. You know. He's not wrong. But I would just say <laughs> that him trying to sell that as one of the great things about the game, I wouldn't agree with. What's yeah. next? So a psychologist, um, yeah. Lowry Douthwaite Walsh, I hope I said that right, um, she released her four um, tips to living a healthy life. Okay. And they are, one, move your body, mm-hmm. two, prioritize connection, three, practice gratitude, and four, spend time with pets. So <laughs> what are your four? Do you agree with those four? Well, what, Austin, you want to jump in over me? 
Coffee no, time? Absolutely not. Yeah. Too much coffee time. And you're like, <laughs> I saw your mic light up. And you're like, you're all jittery about this one. You see the red light come on behind the, the yeah, window. Of course. He's like, <laughs> he's he's ready to pop. Look, I can see your little fidgety finger like hovering over your button. So just out with it. What do you want to say? Nothing. I literally don't want to say anything. Okay. All right. Sure. Stop watching me, man. Watch the camera. Well, I watch you when the bright red light that indicates your mic is turning on flashes immediately in front of my eyes. You know that happens, right? Like, can you see that light that turns on when your mic turns on? Behind you can see that, right? I can't see it now. Beautiful. Anyway. Uh, you blocked it with the monitor. How is this person so famous that they released this list and it became all over social media? She released it on the Daily Mail. Like, it was full publicized... And it, I saw it last night, and I was like, I wonder what JD's four tips are. But, yeah, that's a I don't have, <laughs> First of all, I, I, I appreciate that you would even ask me that question like I would sit down. You know I like to extol uh, virtues and advice. <laughs> yeah. But what I would say is the reason why I'm surprised by this is because these are, like, the most obvious yeah. answers to this ever. It's like, hey, have good relationships. Exercise. Yeah. Uh, pet a dog. Be grateful. And be grateful for the things you have. Like, when you go to therapy, that's the first thing they teach you yeah. is you should write down some things you're grateful for. Hey, yeah. acknowledge the things that you have that other people don't. And it is actually a really helpful exercise. It's hard to do it over and over and over again. And I get it for people who relate to me where you can... Uh, how do you say this properly? You can doomcast or... Think poorly of yourself or get down on yourself, whatever those things are. But yes, practicing gratitude is really good. It is nice to remind yourself, you know, of the things that you have in your life and appreciate the things that you have in your life because everything is temporary. But mm-hmm. yeah, God, there's some people and some things that you have like that others would absolutely kill yes. for, die for. And it's nice to know that. Um, friends, clearly, obviously, I yes. think that one of the most I'd say scary things about modern day living is people have less interactions with people. They have fewer friends. They do less community events, more online. And I I don't think that you get the same thing playing video games with your bros as you do, you know, hanging out Mm -hmm. and having. Is that targeted uh, at me? (laughs) No, that's just Just in general. No, but that's just the way that's going is like, yeah, man, like, you know, even if you were going to do that, you used to have to be in the room. Even mm-hmm. for multiplayer games, like I remember when it was like early Halo tournaments and stuff like that, you'd have to sit around and guys yeah. get the big screens. You'd be doing some land parties. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, this isn't a shot. Like this is not a shot. I know you're used to me taking shots of the young. <laughs> I'm not saying that you did this or whatever. It's just a. Yeah. I'm joking a little bit. If yeah. I would have had this as my high school experience, you don't think I would have been jumping on video games and throwing the headset on, and doing the True. same thing? Of course, of course, of course, of course. So yeah, um, convenience. It's it's easy to prioritize convenience. It's like yeah. the John Mulaney joke he has, where he's like, "It's so easy to do nothing," <laughs> and it's an amazing that we. It's so amazing or so easy to do nothing. It's amazing that we do anything at all. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I, think I, I was expecting something a little more insightful from this article, and I read it. I was like, I, thought I just it was don't understand be how it was that. like, yeah, how this became the thing because again, that's so obvious, and that, that's those are like commonly, yeah, like known it made like things. a headline, like that was like it was like featured. Yeah. And that's why I saw it. So anyway, good because it can serve as a reminder, maybe. But yes, absolutely, you should exercise. Like, duh, yes. okay. Yes. I actually think that was like the pandemic should have taught us like those things are like the most important things. And we just all forgot. We're like, should we yell at each other more behind the screens? It's like, yeah, that's what we should have learned. Should we be mad about who did and didn't get the medicine? Like, that's what we took from it is more tribal. No, what we should have taken from it is like, hey, you 
got a better chance at living and being healthy if you exercise and treat your body right. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, if you've got a family member or friend, you should cherish those relationships because, yeah, when they're taken away from you, you can feel very lonely, isolated, and empty. Uh, yeah, you should be happy for the things that you have and recognize the things that others don't to give yourself important perspective. Mm-hmm. And everybody got a dog during the pandemic, too, so everybody <laughs> at least knew that one. Um, we got to go. Leave five stars. Share it. I'll talk to you tomorrow.